Book 12, Chapters 10 through 18 of The City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo, Book 12. Chapter 10. Let us then omit the conjectures of men who know not what they say when they speak of the nature and origin of the human race. For some hold the same opinion regarding men that they hold regarding the world itself that they have always been. Thus Apuleius says when he is describing our race, individually they are mortal, but collectively, and as a race, they are immortal. And when they are asked how, if the human race has always been, they vindicate the truth of their history, which narrates who were the inventors, and what they invented, and who first instituted the liberal studies and the other arts, and who first inhabited this or that region, and this or that island, they reply that most, if not all lands, were so desolated at intervals by fire and flood, that men were greatly reduced in numbers, and from these again the population was restored to its former numbers, and that thus there was, at intervals a new beginning made, and though these things which had been interrupted and checked by the severe devastations were only renewed, yet they seemed to be originated then, but that man could not exist at all save as produced by man. But they say what they think, not what they know. They are deceived, too, by those highly mendacious documents which profess to give the history of many thousand years, though, reckoning by the sacred writings, we find that not six thousand years have yet passed. And, not to spend many words in exposing the baselessness of these documents, in which so many thousands of years are accounted for, nor in proving that their authorities are totally inadequate, let me cite only that letter which Alexander the Great wrote to his mother Olympias, giving her the narrative he had from an Egyptian priest, which he had extracted from their sacred archives, and which gave an account of kingdoms mentioned also by the Greek historians. In this letter of Alexander's a term of upwards of five thousand years is assigned to the kingdom of Assyria, while in the Greek history only one thousand three hundred years are reckoned from the reign of Bel himself, whom both Greek and Egyptian agree in counting the first king of Assyria. Then to the empire of the Persians and Macedonians this Egyptian assigned more than eight thousand years, counting to the time of Alexander to whom he was speaking, while among the Greeks four hundred and eighty-five years are assigned to the Macedonians down to the death of Alexander, and to the Persians two hundred and thirty-three years, reckoning to the termination of his conquests. Thus these give a much smaller number of years than the Egyptians, and indeed, though multiplied three times, the Greek chronology would still be shorter. For the Egyptians are said to have formerly reckoned only four months to their year, so that one year, according to the fuller and truer computation now in use among them as well as among ourselves, would comprehend three of their old years. But not even thus, as I said, does the Greek history correspond with the Egyptian and its chronology. And therefore the former must receive the greater credit, because it does not exceed the true account of the duration of the world as it is given by our documents, which are truly sacred. 
Further, if this letter of Alexander, which has become so famous, differs widely in this matter of chronology from the probable credible account, how much less can we believe these documents which, though full of fabulous and fictitious antiquities, they would fain oppose to the authority of our well-known and divine books, which predicted that the whole world would believe them, and which the whole world accordingly has believed, which proved, too, that it had truly narrated past events by its prediction of future events, which have so exactly come to pass. Chapter 11. There are some, again, who, though they do not suppose that this world is eternal, are of opinion either that this is not the only world, but that there are numberless worlds, or that indeed it is the only one, but that it dies and is born again at fixed intervals, and this times without number. But they must acknowledge that the human race existed before there were other men to beget them. For they cannot suppose that if the whole world perish, some men would be left alive in the world, as they might survive in floods and conflagrations, which those other speculators suppose to be partial, and from which they can therefore reasonably argue that a few men survived whose posterity would renew the population. But as they believe that the world itself is renewed out of its own material, so they must believe that out of its elements the human race was produced, and then that the progeny of mortals sprang like that of other animals animals from their parents. Chapter 12. As to those who are always asking why man was not created during these countless ages of the infinitely extended past, and came into being so lately that according to scripture less than six thousand years have elapsed since he began to be, I would reply to them regarding the creation of man, just as I replied regarding the origin of the world to those who will not believe that it is not eternal, but had a beginning, which even Plato himself most plainly declares, though some think his statement was not consistent with his real opinion. If it offends them that the time that has elapsed since the creation of man is so short, and his years so few according to our authorities, let them take this into consideration, that nothing that has a limit is long, and that all the ages of time being finite are very little, or indeed nothing at all, when compared to the interminable eternity. Consequently, if there had elapsed since the creation of man, I do not say five or six, but even sixty or six hundred thousand years, or sixty times as many, or six hundred, or six hundred thousand times as many, or this sum multiplied until it could no longer be expressed in numbers, the same question could still be put, why was he not made before? For the past and boundless eternity during which God abstained from creating man is so great, that, compare it with what vast and untold number of ages you please, so long as there is a definite conclusion of this term of time, it is not even as if you compared the minutest drop of water with the ocean that everywhere flows around the globe. For of these two, one indeed is very small, the other incomparably vast, yet both are finite. But that space of time which starts from some beginning, and is limited by some termination, be it of what extent it may, if you compare it with that which has no beginning, I know not whether to say we should count it the very minutest thing, or nothing at all. For take this limited time, and deduct from the end of it, one by one, the briefest moments, as you might take day by day from a man's life, beginning at the day in which he now lives, back to that of his birth, and though the number of moments you must subtract in this backward movement be so great that no word can express it, yet this subtraction will some time carry you to the beginning. 
but if you take away from a time which has no beginning, I do not say brief moments one by one, nor yet hours, or days, or months, or years, even in quantities, but terms of years so vast that they cannot be named by the most skilful arithmeticians, take away terms of years as vast as that, which we have supposed to be gradually consumed by the deduction of moments, and take them away not once and again repeatedly, but always, and what do you effect, what do you make by your deduction, since you never reach the beginning which has no existence? Wherefore, that which we now demand after five thousand odd years our descendants might with like curiosity demand after six hundred thousand years, supposing these dying generations of men continue so long to decay and be renewed, and supposing posterity continues as weak and ignorant as ourselves. The same question might have been asked by those who have lived before us, and while man was even newer upon earth. The first man himself, in short, might the day after, or the very day of his creation, have asked why he was created no sooner. And no matter at what earlier or later period he had been created, this controversy about the commencement of this world's history would have had precisely the same difficulties as it has now. CHAPTER Thirteen. This controversy some philosophers have seen no other approved means of solving than by introducing cycles of time, in which there should be a constant renewal and repetition of the order of nature, and they have therefore asserted that these cycles will ceaselessly recur, one passing away and another coming, though they are not agreed as to whether one permanent world shall pass through all these cycles, or whether the world shall at fixed intervals die out, and be renewed so as to exhibit a recurrence of the same phenomena the things which have been, and those which are to be, coinciding. And from this fantastic vicissitude they exempt not even the immortal soul that has attained wisdom, consigning it to a ceaseless transmigration between delusive blessedness and real misery. For how can that be truly called blessed which has no assurance of being so eternally, and is either in ignorance of the truth, and blind to the misery that is approaching, or, knowing it, is in misery and fear? Or if it passes to bliss, and leaves miseries for ever, then there happens in time a new thing, which time shall not end. Why not, then, the world also? Why may not man, too, be a similar thing? So that, by following the straight path of sound doctrine, we escape, I know not what circuitous paths, discovered by deceiving and deceived sages." Some, too, in advocating these recurring cycles that restore all things to their original, cite in favour of their supposition what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes. What is that which hath been? It is that which shall be. And what is that which is done? It is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Who can speak and say, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time which was before us. This he said, either of those things of which he had just been speaking, the succession of generations, the orbit of the sun, the course of rivers, or else of all kinds of creatures that are born and die. For men were before us, are with us, and shall be after us, and so all living things and all plants. Even monstrous and irregular productions, though differing from one another, and though some are reported as solitary instances, yet resemble one another generally, in so far as they are miraculous and monstrous, and in this sense have been, and shall be, and are no new and recent things under the sun. However, some would understand these words as meaning that in the predestination of God all things have already existed, and that thus there is no new thing under the sun. 
At all events, far be it from any true believer to suppose that by these words of Solomon those cycles are meant, in which, according to those philosophers, the same periods and events of time are repeated. As if, for example, the philosopher Plato, having taught in the school at Athens which is called the Academy, so, numberless ages before, at long but certain intervals, this same Plato and the same school and the same disciples existed, and so also are to be repeated during the countless cycles that are yet to be. Far be it, I say, from us to believe this. For once Christ died for our sins, and rising from the dead he dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, and we ourselves after the resurrection shall be ever with the Lord, to whom we now say, as the sacred psalmist dictates, Thou shalt keep us, O Lord, thou shalt preserve us from this generation. And that too which follows is, I think, appropriate enough. The wicked walk in a circle, not because their life is to recur by means of these circles which these philosophers imagine, but because the path in which their false doctrine now runs is circuitous. CHAPTER Fourteen. What wonder is it if, entangled in these circles, they find neither entrance nor egress? For they know not how the human race, in this mortal condition of ours, took its origin, nor how it will be brought to an end, since they cannot penetrate the inscrutable wisdom of God. For, though himself eternal and without beginning, yet he caused time to have a beginning, and man, whom he had not previously made, he made in time, not from a new and sudden resolution, but by his unchangeable and eternal design. Who can search out the unsearchable depth of this purpose? Who can scrutinize the inscrutable wisdom, wherewith God, without change of will, created man who had never before been, and gave him an existence in time, and increased the human race from one individual? For the psalmist himself, when he had first said, Thou shalt keep us, O Lord, thou shalt preserve us from this generation for ever, and had then rebuked those whose foolish and impious doctrine preserves for the soul no eternal deliverance and blessedness, adds immediately, The wicked walk in a circle. Then, as if it were said to him, What then do you believe, feel, know? Are we to believe that it suddenly occurred to God to create man, whom he had never before made in a past eternity, God to whom nothing new can occur, and in whom is no changeableness? The psalmist goes on to reply, as if addressing God himself, According to the depth of thy wisdom thou hast multiplied the children of men. Let men, he seems to say, fancy what they please, let them conjecture and dispute as seems good to them, but thou hast multiplied the children of men according to the depth of thy wisdom, which no man can comprehend. For this is a depth indeed that God always has been, and that man, whom he had never made before, he willed to make in time, and this without changing his design and will. CHAPTER fifteen. For my own part, indeed, as I dare not say that there ever was a time when the Lord God was not Lord, so I ought not to doubt that man had no existence before time, and was first created in time. But when I consider what God could be the Lord of, if there was not always some creature, I shrink from making any assertion, remembering my own insignificance, and that it is written, What man is he that can know the counsel of God, or who can think what the will of the Lord is? For the thoughts of mortal men are timid, and our devices are but uncertain. For the corruptible body presseth down the soul, and the earthly tabernacle weigheth down the mind that museth upon many things." 
Many things certainly do I muse upon in this earthly tabernacle, because the one thing which is true among the many, or beyond the many, I cannot find. If, then, among these many thoughts I say there have always been creatures for him to be lord of, who is always and ever has been lord, but that these creatures have not always been the same, but succeeded one another, for we would not seem to say that any is co-eternal with the Creator, in assertion condemned equally by faith and sound reason, I must take care lest I fall into the absurd and ignorant error of maintaining that by these successions and changes mortal creatures have always existed, whereas the immortal creatures had not begun to exist until the date of our own world, when the angels were created, if at least the angels are intended by that light which was first made, or rather by that heaven of which it is said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The angels at least did not exist before they were created, for if we say that they have always existed, we shall seem to make them co-eternal with the Creator. Again, if I say that the angels were not created in time, but existed before all times, as those over whom God, who has ever been sovereign, exercised his sovereignty, then I shall be asked whether, if they were created before all time, they, being creatures, could possibly always exist. It may perhaps be replied, why not always, since that which is in all time may very properly be said to be always. Now so true is it that these angels have existed in all time, that even before time was, they were created, if at least time began with the heavens, and the angels existed before the heavens. And if time was even before the heavenly bodies, not indeed marked by hours, days, months, and years, for these measures of time's periods, which are commonly and properly called times, did manifestly begin with the motion of the heavenly bodies, and so God said, when he appointed them, Let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. If I say time was before these heavenly bodies by some changing movement, whose parts succeeded one another, and could not exist simultaneously, and if there was some such movement among the angels which necessitated the existence of time, and that they from their very creation should be subject to these temporal changes, then they have existed in all time, for time came into being along with them. And who will say that what was in all time was not always?' But if I make such a reply, it will be said to me, How then are they not co-eternal with the Creator, if he and they always have been? How even can they be said to have been created, if we are to understand that they have always existed? What shall we reply to this? Shall we say that both statements are true? That they always have been, since they have been in all time, they being created along with time, or time along with them, and yet that also they were created? For similarly we will not deny that time itself was created, though no one doubts that time has been in all time. For if it has not been in all time, then there was a time when there was no time. But the most foolish person could not make such an assertion. For we can reasonably say there was a time when Rome was not, there was a time when Jerusalem was not, there was a time when Abraham was not, there was a time when man was not, and so on. In fine, if the world was not made at the commencement of time, but after some time had elapsed, we can say there was a time when the world was not. But to say there was a time when time was not, is as absurd as to say there was a man when there was no man, or this world when this world was not. For if we are not referring to the same object, the form of expression may be used as, there was another man when this man was not. Thus we can reasonably say there was another time when this time was not, but not the merest simpleton could say that there was a time when there was no time. 
As, then, we say that time was created, though we also say that it always has been, since in all time time has been, so it does not follow that if the angels have always been, they were therefore not created. For we say that they have always been, because they have been in all time. And we say that they have been in all time, because time itself could nowise be without them. For where there is no creature whose changing movements admit of succession, there cannot be time at all. And, consequently, even if they have always existed, they were created. Neither, if they have always existed, are they therefore co-eternal with the Creator. For he has always existed in unchangeable eternity, while they were created, and are said to have been always, because they have been in all time, time being impossible without the creature. But time, passing away by its changefulness, cannot be co-eternal with changeless eternity. And, consequently, though the immortality of the angels does not pass in time, does not become past as if now it were not, nor has a future as if it were not yet, still their movements, which are the basis of time, do pass from future to past, and therefore they cannot be co-eternal with the Creator, in whose movement we cannot say that there has been that which now is not, or shall be that which is not yet. Wherefore, if God always has been Lord, he has always had creatures under his dominion, creatures, however, not begotten of him, but created by him out of nothing, nor co-eternal with him, for he was before them, though at no time without them, because he preceded them not by the lapse of time, but by his abiding eternity. But if I make this reply to those who demand how he was always creator, always lord, if there were not always a subject creation, or how this was created, and not rather co-eternal with its creator, if it always was, I fear I may be accused of recklessly affirming what I know not, instead of teaching what I know. I return, therefore, to that which our Creator has seen fit that we should know, and those things which he has allowed the abler men to know in this life, or has reserved to be known in the next by the perfected saints, I acknowledge to be beyond my capacity. But I have thought it right to discuss these matters without making positive assertions that they who read may be warned to abstain from hazardous questions, and may not deem themselves fit for everything." Let them rather endeavor to obey the wholesome injunction of the Apostle, when he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For if an infant receive nourishment suited to its strength, it becomes capable, as it grows, of taking more. But if its strength and capacity be overtaxed, it dwines away in place of growing." Chapter 16. I own that I do not know what ages passed before the human race was created, yet I have no doubt that no created thing is co-eternal with the Creator. But even the Apostle speaks of time as eternal, and this with reference not to the future, but, which is more surprising, to the past. For he says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the eternal times, but hath in due times manifested his word. You see, he says, that in the past there have been eternal times, which, however, were not co-eternal with God. And since God before these eternal times not only existed, but also promised life eternal, which he manifested in its own times, that is to say, in due times, what else is this than his word? For this is life eternal. But then how did he promise? For the promise was made to men, and yet they had no existence before eternal times. 
Does this not mean that in his own eternity, and in his co-eternal word, that which was to be in its own time was already predestined and fixed? Chapter 17 Of this too I have no doubt, that before the first man was created, there never had been a man at all, neither the same man himself recurring by I know not what cycles, and having made I know not how many revolutions, nor any other of similar nature. From this belief I am not frightened by philosophical arguments, among which that is reckoned the most acute which is founded on the assertion that the infinite cannot be comprehended by any mode of knowledge. Consequently, they argue, God has in his own mind finite conceptions of all finite things which he makes. Now it cannot be supposed that his goodness was ever idle, for if it were there should be ascribed to him an awakening to activity in time from a past eternity of inactivity, as if he repented of an idleness that had no beginning, and proceeded therefore to make a beginning of work. This being the case, they say it must be that the same things are always repeated, and that as they pass, so they are destined always to return, whether amidst all these changes the world remains the same, the world which has always been and yet was created, or that the world in these revolutions is perpetually dying out and being renewed. Otherwise, if we point to a time when the works of God were begun, it would be believed that he had considered his past eternal leisure to be inert and indolent, and therefore condemned and altered it as displeasing to himself. Now if God is supposed to have been indeed always making temporal things, but different from one another, and one after the other, so that he thus came at last to make man, whom he had never made before, then it may seem that he made man not with knowledge, for they suppose no knowledge can comprehend the infinite succession of creatures, but at the dictate of the hour as it struck him at the moment with a sudden and accidental change of mind. On the other hand, say they, if those cycles be admitted, and if we suppose that the same temporal things are repeated, while the world either remains identical through all these rotations, or else dies away and is renewed, then there is ascribed to God neither the slothful ease of a past eternity, nor a rash and unforeseen creation. And if the same things be not thus repeated in cycles, then they cannot by any science or prescience be comprehended in their endless diversity. Even though reason could not refute, faith would smile at these argumentations, with which the godless endeavour to turn our simple piety from the right way, that we may walk with them in a circle. But by the help of the Lord our God, even reason, and that readily enough, shatters these revolving circles which conjecture frames. For that which specially leads these men astray to prefer their own circles to the straight path of truth, is that they measure by their own human, changeable, and narrow intellect the divine mind, which is absolutely unchangeable, infinitely capacious, and without succession of thought, counting all things without number. So that saying of the apostle comes true of them, for, comparing themselves with themselves, they do not understand. For because they do, in virtue of a new purpose, whatever new thing has occurred to them to be done, their minds being changeable, they conclude it is so with God, and thus compare not God, for they cannot conceive God but think of one like themselves when they think of him, not God but themselves, and not with him but with themselves. For our part we dare not believe that God is affected in one way when he works, in another when he rests. Indeed, to say that he is affected at all is an abuse of language, since it implies that there comes to be something in his nature which was not there before. For he who is affected is acted upon, and whatever is acted upon is changeable. 
His leisure, therefore, is no laziness, indolence, inactivity, as in his work is no labor, effort, industry. He can act while he reposes, and repose while he acts. He can begin a new work with, not a new, but an eternal design, and what he has not made before, he does not now begin to make, because he repents of his former repose. But when one speaks of his former repose and subsequent operation, and I know not how men can understand these things, this former and subsequent, are applied only to the things created, which formerly did not exist, and subsequently came into existence. But in God the former purpose is not altered and obliterated by the subsequent and different purpose, but by one and the same eternal and unchangeable will he effected regarding the things he created, both that formerly, so long as they were not, they should not be, and that subsequently, when they began to be, they should come into existence. And thus, perhaps, he would show, in a very striking way, to those who have eyes for such things, how independent he is of what he makes, and how it is of his own gratuitous goodness he creates, since from eternity he dwelt without creatures, in no less perfect a blessedness. CHAPTER eighteen. As for their other assertion, that God's knowledge cannot comprehend things infinite, it only remains for them to affirm, in order that they may sound the depths of their impiety, that God does not know all numbers. For it is very certain that they are infinite, since, no matter of what number you suppose an end to be made, this number can be, I will not say, increased by the addition of one more, but however great it be, and however vast be the multitude of which it is the rational and scientific expression, it can still be not only doubled, but even multiplied. Moreover, each number is so defined by its own properties that no two numbers are equal. They are therefore both unequal and different from one another, and while they are simply finite, collectively they are infinite. Does God therefore not know numbers on account of this infinity, and does his knowledge extend only to a certain height in numbers while of the rest he is ignorant? Who is so left to himself as to say so? Yet they can hardly pretend to put numbers out of the question, or maintain that they have nothing to do with the knowledge of God. For Plato, their great authority, represents God as framing the world on numerical principles, and in our books also it is said to God, Thou hast ordered all things in number, and measure, and weight. The prophet also says, Who bringeth out their host by number. And the Saviour says in the Gospel, The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Far be it then from us to doubt that all number is known to him whose understanding, according to the psalmist, is infinite. The infinity of number, though there be no numbering of infinite numbers, is yet not incomprehensible by him whose understanding is infinite. And thus, if everything which is comprehended is defined or made finite by the comprehension of him who knows it, then all infinity is in some ineffable way made finite to God, for it is comprehensible by his knowledge. Wherefore, if the infinity of numbers cannot be infinite to the knowledge of God, by which it is comprehended, what are we poor creatures that we should presume to fix limits to his knowledge, and say that unless the same temporal thing be repeated by the same periodic revolutions, God cannot either foreknow his creatures that he may make them, or know them when he has made them? God, whose knowledge is simply manifold and uniform in its variety, comprehends all incomprehensibles with so incomprehensible a comprehension, that though he willed always to make his later works novel and unlike what went before them, he could not produce them without order and foresight, nor conceive them suddenly, but by his eternal foreknowledge. End of Book Twelve, Chapters Ten through Eighteen.
Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.